0: Hey, friends, thanks for tuning back into Mavericks and Misfits. Grateful for all of you that are listening from week to week as we drop a new episode uh, pretty much every single Tuesday morning. Some of you are tuning in for the first time. Don't know how you found us, but glad that you found us. We've been doing this. uh, We're coming right up on 100 episodes. Been doing this a little over a year. Um, And, you know, the Mavericks and Misfits podcast is really pretty simple meat and potatoes kind of stuff. Um, I believe that people that are living... A biblically grounded, Holy Spirit-empowered uh, followship of Jesus Christ um, are a rare breed. And what I mean by that is not that there aren't Holy Spirit-guided people or that there aren't biblically grounded people, but the combination uh, in one Christian of being um, one who recognizes the authority of Scripture and the necessity of the Holy Spirit, that's rare. Uh, We've grown up in generations that churches have forced us to choose between the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the authority of the word. And so that's why you have so many camps in Christianity that is primarily just Bible to the negligence of the operation of the Holy Spirit or just Holy Spirit to the negligence of theology and doctrine. And so Mavericks and Misfits is really just my, um, you know, following the leadership of the Lord, my attempt to help people that have realized I don't have to choose between the authority of the word and the necessity of the Holy spirit. I can be like the first century Christians that highly prized apostolic doctrine, the word and the gifts of the Holy spirit. And so that is really going to make you a maverick in the modern day church. It's going to make you a misfit in the modern day church because you won't fit into most churches. Most examples of Christianity are going to magnify, excuse me, are going to magnify um, one of those two facets above the other, either the word above the spirit or the spirit above the word. And uh, guys, we don't have to do that. We get to be equally committed to both because that is the blueprint that is presented to us in the New Testament for life and ministry. And so if if you're into that, that's probably why you're tuning into the podcast. That's not all I talk about, but it is from that platform that I kind of approach everything that we do talk about. And today I, I really want to, I want to address something that um, the Holy Spirit just kind of you punctuated in my heart here recently, and it's and it's it's an issue that I think maybe the younger you are, the more you really need to hear this. Um, I wish I had heard it in my twenties. I probably didn't start getting a grasp of it until I was in my early thirties. But I would love for you not to have to wait as long as I did. And even if you're not in your twenties or thirties or forties, maybe you're in your fifties or sixties or seventies, and you're listening. Um, we have a lot of room to grow in this thing. I want to talk to you about being right the wrong way, being right the wrong way. Let me take you back to a conversation. Um, I remember the first time I had this conversation, but I've had it more than once. But I, I was probably in my late 20s. I was not yet a full-time uh, senior pastor. I was full-time in vocational ministry, but I was serving in a, a secondary role in a church. And I had you know, human leadership over several different facets of that church. So I was the go-to guy in several different areas of ministry. And one of these particular areas, there were some other strong leaders. And because sometimes when you get strong leaders, you know, focusing on the same tasks or assignments that God's given a church, you'll get differing opinions. And sometimes um, if there's not high levels of maturity, those differing opinions can turn into conflicts. And if they're not dealt with biblically, they can turn into dysfunction. This situation was not yet dysfunction, but there was on the (laughs) on-ramp. It was getting there. And so I remember a conversation where I was uh, opposing this leader who was I mean, I don't think he was doing it intentionally, but he was undermining the direction of the ministry. And so we had to have an objective conversation. And so I had to address the issues that were causing the conflict. And so I'm asking him questions about what he was doing and why he was doing it. And then I was saying, do you think that's that's compatible with the direction that I've established as the God appointed human leader of this? And eventually, you know, he realized that he was operating in probably a spirit of rebellion but he recognized that it wasn't going to be sustainable the way things were going and then he looked at me at one point when he ran out of arguments and and by the way this guy is a friend we were just in opposition at that time and this guy said to me he goes um jeff you always seem to think you're right and i clarified for him with this statement i said i'm not always right but yes most of the time i think i'm right and he said see and I said, well, let me just ask you a question. Do you think you're wrong most of the time? And he said, um, well, well, no. I said, so you think you're right most of the time too? He said, well, yeah. And I said, good, because that's what we should think if we're following the Lord. You should think and believe that most of the time, if you're following Jesus, you're getting things rightly. You should believe that. That's not arrogance. That's not unteachableness that means that you are confident that you are in the will of God and following God himself. And in those occasions where you usually think you're right, you have to remain open to the fact that sometimes you're not right. And that's all I was saying to the guy. But most of the time when people hear, well, you think you're right, um, they they see that as an accusation that they have to say, no, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't regularly. I don't assume that I'm right. Um, And I would just say, be careful because if you're following in the footsteps of Jesus, you should think that you're right. You should be right. You should be doing, thinking, speaking, acting, planning, and believing in ways that are correct in alignment with the truth, in alignment with the heart of God. How can you be a double-minded person and say, well, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm not, but I'm just going to move forward. No, before you move forward, you better have the confidence that you're following the Lord and you're doing it right. So... We, we should believe as followers of Jesus that we are walking in the right way, that we are doing the right thing, that we are saying the right things, that we are praying the right things, that we are responding rightly. But I'm going to give you something to all of you who are naturally confident in that way and supernaturally, spiritually confident that you're in the will of the Lord. There is a wrong way to be right. And that's what I want to address today, because being right does not and give us a carte blanche blank check to act in ways that dismiss the value of those who might be opposing us and they may be in error. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the context of conflict. What do you do when you're right and somebody else is wrong? How do you treat that person? How do you handle the situation or the topic about which the conflict has arisen? How do you steward your correctness? not political correctness, biblical correctness, spiritual correctness, walking uprightly, having insights that are true when you're being opposed by someone who does not have that truth. I'm not talking about whether we think we're right. I'm gonna make this so clear. I'm talking about a situation where you're being opposed, where you're in conflict with somebody and you know objectively that they are wrong and you are right. What do you do with that? Because there's a wrong way of being right. I'm going to give you a verse that I think will help us because this is a heart issue. How you steward your correctness, your being right, your rightness, your having the facts on your side, how you steward that is probably equally as important as you having gained the proper set of facts, gained the proper position, gained the right um, side of this conflict, how you steward that position is essential because that is really how you're going to reflect the heart of Jesus. Jesus was always right. And Jesus was always humble. Do you hear me? Jesus Christ, while on earth in every debate, every conflict, Every war moment in the, in the supernatural, every corrective moment, every time Jesus Christ was in a moment of opposition as the son of man, he was right and he was always humble. So you can be right and still fail God if you're not humble. All right, big boys and big girls, let's put on our big boys and big girls pants and let's listen to what Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24, 25, and 26, he's writing to a spiritual leader named Timothy. And Timothy is an overseer, he's an elder, let's just call it this way, he is a pastor. And Paul is training Timothy. And by the way, these are some of the last words that Paul ever wrote that are inscripturated. So this was right right before Paul would give his life. And he's giving last minute instruction, dying days instruction to a young leader. And this is what he said in 2 Timothy 2.24, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. Now guys, these verses were revolutionary for me in the early 2000s as a At that time, a senior pastor, a new one in the early 2000s. I became a lead pastor uh, in late 2002. And so when you do that, you immediately sign up for conflict because you're leading people that will not always agree with you. You're leading people that will not always trust you. You are going to lead people that are going to oppose you. And most of the time, most of the time, not all the time, they think they're doing the right thing by God. And so you have to learn how to correct You have to learn how to help people see the truth. You have to learn how to love people that may not be loving you properly. And you actually have to love those people more than you love your correctness and your rightness and your being on the proper side of the facts. You see, apart from humility, we can't properly steward being right. You can't. Knowledge, and that means biblical knowledge, theological knowledge, um, understanding, relational knowledge, situational comprehension of the facts, what's actually going on. You can have all of those things and you can blow it. And let me just go ahead and confess, I did many, many, many times. So again, what is Paul saying here to this young leader in the kingdom? And when I say young, Timothy was actually probably in his forties. Um, that would be a young leader back then. And this is what th- that Paul said. I'm just going to walk us through these verses and maybe share a couple of other things. I want to. I want to really call some of you that are gifted. You're sharp. You're you're keen. You're Bible people. You know the truth. You're discerning. You know how to follow the Spirit. You 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 actually discern spirits that can't be objectively discerned, but God has given you wisdom and insight, and you can see when somebody's operating in a spirit that is different than the spirit of God, how do you handle it? What do you do with those that are wrong and while you know that you're right, what do you do? Well, this is what the word says. The word says the first thing, you're a servant of the Lord, the Lord's servant. That means you represent him. You're facilitating his will. You're you're representing his heart. Your goal is to bring him glory. You are to make him big. You are to put him in the place of preeminence. He must be central. And when you do that, all of a sudden, you become sobered about how you steward what you know that this person opposing you does not know. Because you recognize in that moment, as a servant of the Lord, whose yoke is upon you and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. The one who called himself meek and lowly in heart, not weak and fearful in heart, meek and lowly in heart. You are to be a reflection of him because you're his servant. You're not on your own. The goal is not to win the argument. The goal is not to show yourself as superior in knowledge and wisdom and discernment and all things kingdom. It's not the goal. And it may be the truth, but it's not the goal. Because you're the Lord's servant, so everything you do and how you do it, you remain conscious that you're reflecting Jesus in that moment. And this is what he said, the Lord's servant, first thing, must not be quarrelsome. Man, that's huge. We live in the most quarrelsome age that has ever hit planet Earth. Social media is nothing but an echo chamber where people pick fights and then declare themselves as the winner. And if they don't like what the opposition says, they unfollow them, they delete them, they mute them, they do whatever they can do to execute that voice of opposition so that they can feel smugly justified in that they have won the quarrel. And that may sound extreme to you, but I actually think it's accurate. And, and what Paul says is, hey, that's not for Christians. You're not supposed to operate with a quarrelsome spirit. You're not supposed to go around looking for the next debate to win, the next fight to pick, the next person to squash. You're not supposed to be walking around looking for somebody with inferior understanding, inferior uh, discernment, inferior equipping so that you can step on them and show yourself to them that you have the answers that they lack. Ha ha, I have arrived. That's not the spirit of Jesus. That's actually sin. So again, I'm not saying you don't have the truth. I'm not saying you don't have right, uh, the correctness. I'm not saying you don't have the discernment. I'm saying that you actually do. I'm taking for granted in this kind of teaching that you're right and the other person is wrong, but I'm saying there's a wrong way of being right. And so it says, don't be quarrelsome, but you have to be kind to everyone, not just Bible. You, know, you, you, you have to ask yourself, do I believe and obey that? You have to be kind to everyone. Kind means you consider them. Kind means you listen to them. Kind means you find the ways that you can value them even as you cannot value what they're wrong about. You're, you're showing the kindness, the heart. You're looking at somebody who is the imago Dei, the image of God. God loves them. God sees their imperfection. God sees where they are wrong. God sees that they are perhaps spiritually blind, maybe even opposing him. But his goal is not to show them unkindness because they are wrong. He says to the servant of the Lord, don't quarrel with that person. That's a, a spirit. That's an atmosphere that people carry, a quarrelsome spirit, a quarrelsome atmosphere. He says, instead of that, be kind to everybody. And then it says able to teach. That means you have to be objectively able to explain to them why in this opposition and conflict, why they are wrong and why are you are right. That's what you do. You literally you you stoop in grace and you say, Oh, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt that the reason why they're opposing me on this is they just don't know the truth. So I'm going to teach them not what you think, not what you feel, but why objectively they are wrong. And that's one of the things that I think we need to really get a grasp on. Most of the fights that are happening and the quarrels and the divisions. Um, I'm thinking primarily in the body of Christ, but even with Christians and non-Christians, most of it is not objective. Most of it is heat, a lot of heat, not a lot of light, Uh, a lot of, a lot of passion, not a lot of precision. A a lot of people just bless God. I'm going to fight for my territory and I don't care who I have to crush. That is not kingdom. You have to teach people. And then it says, Paul writes to Timothy says, be kind to everybody. Don't be quarrelsome. Teach them why they're wrong. Show them, and he says, do it patiently, enduring evil. (laughs) Wow. Patiently put up with them, because as you correct them, as you teach them, as you objectively communicate to them why they are wrong, it can get nasty. It, Paul's word here is evil. Patiently you, the one with the upper hand, the one with the facts, the one who's right, being opposed by the one who is wrong, do it as a servant of the Lord, be kind to this person, patiently endure when they turn up the heat on you as they recognize you're not going to agree with them. That means they may say stuff about you, they may say stuff to you, they may misrepresent you, they may lie about you, They may completely misunderstand you and convince themselves that you're wrong because of this, and that can affect their actions towards you, their words against you. And Paul says this, yeah, the servant of the Lord patiently endures all of that evil. And then verse number 25, lest this sound, lest this sound like I'm just being mamby-pamby with this stuff and wishy-washy. You have not heard me one time, and you will not hear me say Tell them it's all okay and they can be wrong and you can, you can, or they can be wrong and it doesn't matter. And, and maybe, maybe you're not right and you back off your position because you're trying to be sweet. You're not hearing me say that you never sacrifice truth. The, the, no, the book of James tells us the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceful, pure, then peaceful. That means truth before cooperation. So it doesn't mean that you back off of the truth. It means how you steward the truth is important to God. And so as you're patiently enduring the evil, verse 25 says, correct your opponents with gentleness. Yeah, correct them. Tell them why they're wrong. Show them. Love them enough to tell them. Don't scream at them. If they're being subjective and just operating in emotion, you you don't go there. You stay objective and you stay gentle and you stay calm and you correct your opponents with the gentleness of Jesus Christ. Listen, let me just ask you a question. How does Jesus correct you when you're wrong? Look back in your life when you can look at a time period or um, a season or a situation where you were wrong. Let's just call it what it is. You, You were sinning against God in either heart, attitude, speech, actions. How did Jesus correct you? Did he come thundering in, getting in your face, taking you by the collar and threatening you that if you don't get with it, he's going to pulverize you because you're a stupid, ignorant, foolish follower? Well, of course he doesn't do that. That's almost blasphemous or heretical to think about. No, he's very gentle with you, but he does get his correction across, doesn't he? Oh my goodness. Sometimes the fact that he does it gently makes it more impacting. I can look back times in my life and moments where I was just blind. I was ignorant. I wasn't listening to people. I wasn't listening to counsel. I I thought I was convinced I was right, and I was just just patently wrong. Sometimes it was theologically. Early on in my ministry, I bought a hook, line, and sinker into a line of theology that was just handed to me, and I didn't examine it, and I was just repeating what I had heard my favorite preachers preach, and I I dared people to disagree with me, and then finally, I started seeing what I'm preaching. (laughs) Didn't line up with scripture. And sometimes it was through the fact that a loving person came to me and said, hey, I appreciate your passion, but you're wrong about this. Let me show you gently and correct you and show you biblically why you're wrong. They could have come to me. They could have written me off. They could have slandered me. They could have mocked me. They could have done all sorts of things. But instead, with gentleness, they corrected me. And now I see the value in that. And the reason why we're told to do it with gentleness and correct our opponents, not tell them it's all good, but correct them, actually correct them. If they're wrong, they're wrong. If you're right, you're right. But how you steward your rightness and how you deal with their wrongness is the bigger reflection of God's heart. Anybody can find out the facts, but it takes a humble spirit filled person to steward those facts the way that Jesus would steward them if he was in your position correcting this person that's wrong. And the end result is that if we do this, there's the possibility. I notice in verse 25, Paul says, Timothy, if you correct your opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. It's not guaranteed, but it can be. It can be possible. It's actually possible that if you follow the way that God has outlined in stewarding your rightness against their incorrectness, whether it's theological, relational, philosophical, whatever it is, If you follow the pattern of Jesus in correcting people, there is a greater chance that God will lead these people to repentance. That means they change their mind. Metanoia is the Greek word metanoia, a changing of the way they think about this situation and God through your gentle correction, through your patiently enduring their wrongness and maybe even their carnality through you being able and equipped to teach them objectively why they're wrong by refusing to be quarrelsome, but being kind to them and everybody else that provides the context by which God may perhaps grant them repentance on this issue that you're in conflict or opposition about. And verse 26 is pretty cool. It says, and they may come to their senses. I love that. I love how real the Bible is. Paul is saying, Hey, Timothy, you're going to come to some un- unsensible, unreasonable people. They're going to be wrong. You're going to be right. You're going to have the truth. They're going to be operating in some sense of falsehood or deception or self-delusion. Timothy, it's going to happen. And I'm telling you, Timothy, when that happens, how you steward that moment is going to reflect how mature you are in the faith. Anybody can stomp on a cockroach. (laughs) Anybody can. Anybody can, you know, get rid of a pest. Anybody can do it. You know, I don't have any regard. If I see a cockroach, man, especially if like it's in my home or my office, I'm going to crush it. I'm going to step on it because that cockroach adds no value to my life. It's disgusting. I can't stand it. I loathe it. I don't want it around. It speaks of things that make me physically sick. I don't want a cockroach around. So you know what I do? I kill it at the first opportunity and I don't have a single shred of regret for having done so because it's a cockroach. But if I take that same kind of mindset and I use it in a situation where a human being made in the image of God, is coming against me and dealing with me in incorrectness, in deception, in hostility, in lies, in unbelief, whatever it is, they're wrong. And in this context, this theoretical situation, I'm right. If I crush them like a cockroach, I don't have the spirit of Jesus. I may get rid of the problem, but I don't please the master. And the whole passage started by saying, you're the Lord's servant, Jeff. And you that are listening, if you're Christians, you're the Lord's servant. I hope you're right about a lot of stuff. I hope you're right about most everything. And I hope you're growing. I hope you're intentionally seeking how to know that you are objectively, truthfully, biblically, spiritually right about how you're living your life, the things you say, the beliefs that you hold, the relationships that you engage in. I hope that you're right. I think most of you probably want to be right. And I hope that you're able to say, yeah, I'm right almost all the time you need to be able to say that that's not arrogance listen you're either right most all of the time or you're wrong most all of the time which one do you believe better characterizes your your walk with jesus is it virtuous to say yeah i'm usually wrong is that really virtuous <laughs> But no, of course it's not, but it's not necessarily arrogant to say, yes, the way I've structured my life, the way I intentionally listen to the Lord, the way I believe the truth and I'm studying the truth and walking in the truth, the way I keep myself pure, I'm able to hear the Lord. He leads me in paths of rightness. So you ought to be able to say I'm right most of the time, but if you don't say it with humility, it's the wrong way of being right. And Paul says, man, some of these people are going to come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. Never forget that. Most spiritual opposition is not wrestling against flesh and blood. These people are operating against the truth because they're blind to it. Christians, when they see the truth, respond to it. So if we're talking about in the context of Christianity, you want to help them see God's truth because that Christian will actually want to know what's true if they're walking in the spirit when you're de- dealing with non-believers, non-Christians, well, they can't know the truth because they're literally, scriptures say that they're blinded by Satan. They're blinded by Satan to the gospel truth. And so you have to, with patience, enduring evil, mockery, laughter, talking about you, misrepresenting you, you know, rebuking you, misrep- misrepresenting, mis- mistreating you. You have to bear patiently with that. It's evil, it's wrong, but the scriptures say the servant of the Lord bears with that patiently because the servant of the Lord is seeking to humbly, with kindness, not win the quarrel, but to win the heart of the person who's wrong. So these are intense thoughts, but I think they're helpful. The, the key to this is, listen, pursue humility. Pursue humility. Do you remember what Proverbs eighteen twelve says? Before a downfall, the heart is haughty. But humility precedes honor. Proverbs 18, 12 says, humility precedes honor. Where does the honor come from? The honor comes from the Lord. When the Lord wants to honor you and make even your enemies to be at peace with you, the only doorway that you can walk through that that room of honor, him honoring you, the only way you enter into that place where he honors you is you walk through the doorway of humility. And listen, you can win the argument you can prove your point. You can crush your opposition. You can come away beating your chest in a smug spiritual pride saying, ha ha, I put them in their place. I corrected their error. I'm right. They're wrong. Everybody knows it. And God can look at you and say, I wish you hadn't done that. You say, but Lord, I I stood for the truth. Lord, I I stood for what was right. Lord, I, I, I cleared out deception. And the Lord says, All of those are good things, but everything you did is contaminated because you weren't humble and there's no honor from me, for you, my servant in that do better next time. You you may not fully believe what I'm saying is actual and true, but we're not only going to give an account for our rightness. We're not going to only give an account. I will say this we're not even primarily going to give an account whether we had the kingdom facts on our side. We're going to give an account primarily for how did we reflect Jesus Christ to everyone? How did we reflect his nature in our conflict with another person? How did our speech, how did our motivation, how did our attitude How did that look to the one who owns us? Did he see Jeff proved his point, won the argument, succeeded in the debate, defeated his opposition? Is that what we want the Lord to see? Or do we want the Lord, having watched us in a conflict, to be able to say, oh, my child, you were not quarrelsome. You were kind to that person. You were able to teach them while they were wrong. And when they pushed back on you, you patiently endured the way that they responded. You corrected your opponent with gentleness. And because of that, you gave way to the possibility that God would grant them repentance, lead them to a knowledge of the truth, Bring them to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after they had been captured by him in their error to do his will. And my child, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what you want to hear. You're either going to get the smug satisfaction of you stomped on the cockroach and dealt with the error, or You're going to get the deep spiritual satisfaction that no matter what the person that opposed you did, you honored the Lord by choosing to reflect the nature of Jesus as you handled the conflict. Wow. I feel like I need to get on my face and say, help me, Jesus, because I can grow in this area. And I hope you feel the same way. Hey, my time's gone again. Thanks for tuning in to Mavericks and Misfits. Don't forget, we drop a new episode every single Tuesday. And if you want to take advantage of the archives, Go to maverickmisfit.com. Go to maverickmisfit.com. Check out the archives. Every one of these podcasts that I've ever recorded are there. Just scroll down to the bottom, start there. There's a whole series, about 10 weeks, I think, where I dealt with spiritual gifts. How do we use the spiritual gifts? There's all sorts of things about moral issues, political issues. I just want to bring truth back into the forum and the discussion. And so you can find that at maverickmisfit.com. As always, of course, you can subscribe to Mavericks and Misfits. Most of you do. Subscribe to Mavericks and Misfits wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm going to ask you to do something. I mention it just about every episode. Would you literally do me a favor? Help Jeff Lyle out here. Take a minute. It takes literally three to four minutes. Rate and review this podcast. If you believe in it, if you think it's helpful, if you've been challenged, if you think I'm doing the right thing, then rate and review. Listen, if you don't think I am, rate and review it and leave an honest opinion of whatever you think. If you've got questions, comments, or suggestions about topics we can discuss, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. Jeff at maverickmisfit.com. And n- never forget, Transforming Truth is the umbrella website. That's the media web- media ministry we've been leading since the year 2007. If you want to really enrich yourself, uh, all the videos for sermons, everything's free, by the way. Everything. We, we don't charge for anything. Nothing I put out, I charge for. We do ask you to consider it Transforming Truth that if you're being helped, you can help us continue to reach other people by donating. But if you can't donate or don't feel led to, that's great. Take advantage of all of the material. But we've got mission works we want to do on Transforming Truth. We have got opportunities in Africa right now that need funding. And you can go to the donate page on transformingtruth.org and you can donate to that ministry and help us to do everything that we're doing here. I'm going to finish with this. I want you to consider praying about uh, growing in your biblical education, your understanding of the kingdom. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. Maybe you've never done it before. Um, just a few months ago, I was, I was named the chief operations officer of Coneo Ministry Training Center. Uh, Caneo Ministry Training Center is a Bible college that is uh, housed in um, Christ Fellowship Church in Dawsonville, Georgia. Um, Over, I think right now we're around 700 students, both in person and online, all over the United States of America, and we are strategizing to help people at a very affordable cost get a biblical four-year degree, and ministry equipping, leadership equipping, biblical equipping, and listen, truth is of a premium right now. You've got to be grounded in truth, and I want the school that I help lead to help train you, and so I want you to go to Kineo, K-I-N-E-O. MTC, Kaneo Ministry Training Center, Kaneo com. Check it out. You can start right now. Years one and two, the school year has already begun, but years one and two are those classes are already on demand. You can work at your own pace and there's an opportunity there for you to be the steward of your own edification and grow in the knowledge and wisdom of God. And so I hope you'll consider doing that. If you've got questions about the school, about the podcast, about Transform Truth or about the church at Winder where I serve as lead pastor in Bethlehem, Georgia, email me at jeff at maverickmisfit.com. I hear the music playing, so I have got to run. God bless you. Let's be humble. Let's contend for the truth. Let's fight for what is right, but let's do the right thing the right way and there is a wrong way of being right And from now on make sure that you don't ever enter into living a life that has the wrong way of being right We can do this the right way and bring pleasure to the heart of the lord. We'll see you next time Have you picked up a copy of jeff's book figuring it out as I go His life story of abandonment as a child an embrace of the occult and addiction as a teenager and a nearly deadly battle with depression and rage as a young adult serves as an intense backdrop to Jeff's supernatural conversion at the age of 24. From there, Jeff writes of powerful seasons of deliverance, healing, and breakthrough, which were followed by tragedy, betrayal, and deep challenges which only God could turn around. If you want to hear a powerful account of the triumph of God's grace, and Jeff's surprising journey into the mysteries of the Holy Spirit, pick up a copy of Figuring It Out As I Go at JeffLyle.com or wherever else you buy books. You can also download a copy of Jeff narrating Figuring Out As I Go on audible.com.